We're in the book of Romans, and this is uh, the section today um, entitled Written Code, Rules Were Made to Break Us. This whole larger section from the 18th verse of chapter 1 into the the 20th verse of chapter 3 is one long big point that Paul is making, but we can also learn other things along the way, which is what we're doing. But this is kind of a summary of this very important kind of foundation of where Paul's headed with this entire writing. The gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is great news, the best news ever. But in order to more fully understand how good it truly is, we first need to see how bad things really are. This is what Paul is revealing from Romans 1.18 through Romans 3.20. And today what we're looking at is how Paul is warning the church then and now against several things in these verses from 17 to 29 in chapter 2. Keep in mind, Paul is writing to a a church in Rome that he has not been to yet. Unlike most of the other churches he wrote to, he didn't start this church. Some of those people have met him, have know him. Most of them have heard about him, the Apostle Paul. At this point, it's late in his life, so almost everyone throughout Christianity knew about the Apostle Paul. But because he hadn't been there yet, he is presenting them some, some teaching for them, but then which also, as in most of Scripture, applies to us as well today. And whenever we read the Bible, we have to be aware of what the original intent of these letters, these these writings, these historical accounts were, who they were intended for, what was in mind when the author was writing this, but then also in how God is using it throughout history and throughout our history our present day right now, in our lives right now, how God can use that. So it is both. There is always a then and a now aspect when we study the scriptures, when we learn from them. And I hope you'll see that today as as we walk through these verses once again. So remember that this church was filled with both Jews who converted to Christianity, which was not very many of them, and there was also Gentiles who became Christians, and they weren't always getting along. And part of the reason there was a particular problem there is because many of the Jews were kicked out of Rome by the emperor Caligula, and when Nero came over, they could come back. And so they were trying to get along, and it wasn't always working out very well. In the first part of the second chapter, he's coming down hard on the Gentile believers for their part of the division and what they were doing. Now he's coming back to his own people, the Jews, and he kind of comes down pretty hard on them too because he's telling both of them, look, you guys, you got to get along, and here's why it's not working. Here's what's going on. He's warning the church against several things, and the first of those is arrogance and hypocrisy. There's probably at least a few among the Jewish believers in the Roman church that had a sense of pride, not a good pride, a kind of a condescension toward the Gentile believers. Well, 
okay, we all believe in Jesus, that's good. And, and you know, I, I gave up a lot to be a Christian. I mean, I, I have friends and family who have disowned me because I believe in who they think is the false Messiah. But I've embraced this, but you know what? I've got the law on my side. I've got Moses on my side. I've got all the prophets, and, and I know these books far better than any of you, so all of you need to listen to me. Now, they may not have said it as directly as that, but that attitude was being perpetuated in the church. Now, how do you feel in any setting when you have an instructor or a teacher acting and projecting in a condescending manner to you? Are you, are you open to it? If they're just kind of arrogant, well, I've got the information and you don't. I've got the smarts, you don't. You're just blessed to be in this class with me or whatever it might be. That's not a good learning experience, right? They, you know, maybe you'll still draw information from them, which is, by the way, the lowest level of learning, just passing information along. Okay, they can still do that, but if you really want to reach their heart, there's no way because the heart needs to change and arrogance and hypocrisy don't help. Paul knew what he was talking about because he himself was part of that attitude when he was a Pharisee. Now remember how Jesus had all those confrontations with so many different teachers of the law and Pharisees? And in Matthew chapter 22, there are several instances where Jesus is confronted by them with questions that they put before him hoping to trap him in his own words so that he could look bad in front of the crowds, so they could discredit him and, and kind of push this Jesus back, to, back out of the way where they wanted him. It never worked, and, and then one of those questions was the classic one about, you know, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And they thought they had him. But in, in no matter how he answered, and Jesus gives that classic <laughs> answer, to give to Caesar what is Caesar, and to God what is God's. And they finally got shut up. And then Jesus speaks in the 23rd chapter, verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. And he goes on with very disparaging words and, and, and just calling out their hypocrisy right in front of them. And he does that again when we have what, what, what's called the seven woes, when, and when he's really angry at the temple and, and, and just blasts them again and again. He calls them things like whitewashed tombs. And, and so his, he was angry at their hypocrisy, and he didn't hold back anymore and told them so. Paul was part of that because Paul was a Pharisee. Now, Paul, as far as we know, wasn't present when Jesus was saying those things, but he became a part of that group not much longer after Jesus' death and resurrection. And at, as we know at the start, was against Christianity and did all he could to stop it. But Paul writes this in Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse, uh, verse 4. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. 
but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. That's Paul's new attitude. Letting go of the arrogance that he had and the hypocrisy he had. And he's, he's upset with the church because now he's seeing it among Christians. Treating other Christians with that kind of an attitude. So that was the, the then part of this. The now for us today is the, the you. Now it says in those verses, um, you call yourself a Jew. You rely on the law. You um, are a teacher, uh, a guide for the blind, a light for the dark, instructor of the foolish, etc. teacher of little children. So while even if you're not Jewish, the idea is the same Anyone who leads in the church with a sense of entitlement. I've earned this. I grew up going to church. I went to Sunday school from the time I was born. And I did. (laughs) You know, okay, listen to me. Because I went to Bible college and took some seminary classes. I read lots of books and commentaries. You got to listen to me. I know what I'm talking about. I got lots of friends. In there. See, if, if I came across that, if you walked out the door, I wouldn't blame you, you know? Because that's not me in terms of the way I want to, to project myself, and that's not from my heart. But, but if I were to take on that attitude and, and just give you the sense that. You have to listen to me because I have all the power here and I have all the answers. And, you know, that is just like <coughs> the Jewish believers in the church toward the Gentiles. And so it's not a Jew-Gentile issue that we have now, but it is still can become a those who feel entitled, those who feel empowered, you know, in the wrong kind of way that we look down upon all these little peons over here that you know we're teaching and they're they're nothing. You know, you gotta listen to us. We're leaders, we're church, we're teachers, we're pastors. That's what Paul's writing against. And he goes on in that same Philippians chapter when he says that the beginning of the seventh verse, but whoever whatever were gains to me, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, a righteousness that comes on the basis of faith. One of the interesting aspects that I did learn from my Bible college education was in the the Greek language has different dialects to it, and the, the particular dialect that Paul wrote in and presumably spoke in was the dialogue of the common people. And in other words, he didn't use all the fancy glowing words to try and impress them. He, he wrote and talked like the regular, the regular folk of his day and communicated with them in that way. When the Greek is translated into the English, we clean it up, especially when you're talking about church <laughs> and you're talking to all these nice Christians. When he says there, that um, he considers it, uh, what verse was that? Considers it garbage or rubbish. It could have been a much more coarse word. 
that I still won't use now, but you can fill in the blank. That's the way he spoke. Because he wanted to make the point. That's how he felt about all that he had earned, about all the arrogance and hypocrisy that he once had in his life. And, oh, that's disgusting. I don't want that junk anymore. I don't want that stuff anymore. It's yuck because I have Christ now. That's what he was saying. So this is the, what Paul is first coming out against. And the second thing then we see is defending exclusion. He is fighting those who are defending an exclusive gospel, a, a, a tight little space for just us real believers, and let's make sure that no one else gets in. <clears throat> and the issue that they were using to do this was part of the law of Moses. There, here you had these Jewish believers who, although believed in Jesus, were still holding on to the law. We're still holding on to the, the ways that um, they grew up in and they understood. Now, to, to get a, a, a better idea of this, I'm not going to read the detail of it, but it all goes back to literally the beginning <clears throat> of their nation through a man named Abram. And Abram sounds like Abraham, right? Well, same guy. The same passage where Abram becomes Abraham, the same passage where the covenant given to Abraham by God is, is reinforced at a very deep level, is the same passage where the, the, the practice of circumcision as the, as the sign or the seal of the covenant began. All of that happened in Genesis 17. That means that there was a couple thousand years of circumcision being central to the community of what you do as part of the community. And if you don't do this, you're out of the community. And you don't even think about it. This is just what happens. This is what we do. This is what we have to do. This is our identity. And when Jesus came and then died on the cross and rose again and established the church and opened it up to everybody, the law is now secondary. The law doesn't matter as much, or it matters in a different way, I should say. But the new law is, as I said to the kids, how Jesus correctly answered that question, the law of love. The law of loving God with heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. But some of the Jewish Christians couldn't let go of the law, and in particular, the practice of circumcision. Now, there are some nuances to that as well in this way. Some of them wholeheartedly felt like, no, this just seems right to me, and we have to do this. Others kind of felt like, you know what? If we say to the Gentiles they have to be circumcised, they're going to run. Good. Then we can stand up and say, yay, you know, you have to be circumcised, you don't. Well, law says so, so you have to. So, so what they really want is to keep people away. <clears throat> In part, that's what's going on. This exclusive behavior. Let's find ways to keep them out. And that's why circumcision became such a big issue. The entire letter to Galatians that Paul wrote was about that issue. The entire 15th chapter of Acts 
was about that issue when the first ever church council met to talk about this. And in the larger sense, what do we do with people who are Gentile, who are believers in Jesus? Do they have to practice the law of Moses? And in what ways, if any? And some of the group said, absolutely circumcision, absolutely Sabbath, absolutely, you know, food laws, health laws, feasts. And all of that said, no, 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 no. It is faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's what matters. And thankfully, the council went that direction. That was then. What about now? Ways that we still add and form um, law to grace. Um, such as baptism, which forming one from I'm not sure why I put that word there, sorry. Uh, or certain behaviors that show uh, who really is one of us, a, a true believer or a real Christian. Th th that's the idea here. It, it is that the attitude of find ways to keep it just us four and no more, okay? To keep it small, to keep it exclusive. And if we create rules and, and barriers for other people to overcome, then we don't have to rub shoulders with them. Then we don't have to learn to like them. Then we don't have to learn about their life and their culture and their ways, which may not be anything wrong with it, but we're just not used to it or comfortable with it. So if we find a rule somewhere in the Bible that we can emphasize, then we can keep them out and feel all much more comfortable together here in our cozy little tiny church where we don't want anyone else. No, we're not going to say that directly to God, and yet sometimes our behaviors as believers do this. Are you a true believer? Are you a real Christian? Sometimes that even comes out in our politics. In the last several years especially, I've seen people say that if you are a real believer in Jesus Christ, you will vote for him or her or not for him or her in whatever office or this particular issue or you won't join this particular party. As if, now, now when did that get added to salvation? When, when, and now I'm pretty sure I read my New Testament, it comes up again and again that, that the way to God is through faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. He went to the cross and died for me. And everyone who believes in him shall, 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 shall live Live forever, live better now, live, live, live fuller now. That's salvation, that's the gospel. There wasn't a footnote there in John 3.16 that said, oh, by the way, you have to sign up for the right political party or all bets are off. And yet, that's what people do. Maybe not directly so much beyond Facebook memes, <laughs> but we do get that sense sometimes. So, and that's just one example of ways in which we try to say, well, you're a real believer, a true believer, if you do this, this, and this. Hey, it's all about Jesus. Like the song that we sing here says, in Christ alone do we have our hope. In Christ alone. Now, if we take Jesus out of the equation, okay, now we got a problem. If we say Jesus didn't die and rise again, yeah, then we have a problem. And we'll talk about it, but here's why that's really important. And I have that conversation. I've had that conversation with many people. But when you try and add to what Jesus did with our own little agendas, our own little litmus tests, that's exactly what the church in Rome was doing, and that's what we shouldn't do today in any form. 
And then the other one is heartless faith that Paul was fighting against. Um, his problem then was, once again, uh, what, what true circumcision is, is what he's, how he's remedying this, this idea of circumcision, what really matters to God. And there's a phrase he uses in the text in Romans 2, circumcision of the heart. And you find that also in Deuteronomy. And in the 10th chapter of Deuteronomy, it's a time when there was a, a, a turning point in, in Israel's history. They're under Moses' leadership. But do you remember the story when Moses came down with, with uh, the commands from God and he saw that the people had rejected God or a large portion of them with, by building a golden calf? And, and, and what happened to those first set of tablets? They were, they were broke, weren't they? Okay. And they had to go basically clean up the mess. <laughs> a whole lot of people had to leave. A whole lot of them died. Okay, now we've got this group that's left. All right, Moses, come back, get a new copy. All right? Moses comes back with the new copy. And he says a lot of things. It's, it's like a reset. It's like a second chance, a new start. And among a lot of the other things he said was, in the 10th chapter of Deuteronomy, uh, at verse 14, to the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord is, set his affection on your ancestors and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality, accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners. For you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Boy, I'd like to pull that verse out and apply that to America you yourselves were once foreigners, so how were you treating foreigners and aliens now? And I know immigration is a big issue that needs to be talked about, that needs to have good structure and boundaries and rules, but, but at its essence, we have to be open. Because unless any of you have Native American blood, you were, have ancestors that came here, and many of them against their own wills. <laughs> Others came here because they were seeking freedom or, you know, there was uh, famine in, in Ireland or wherever it might have been that your ancestors came from. But this is what the people of Israel were doing at times. And yet, here back at the beginning, under Moses, he's reminding them that although you are God's chosen people, the heart of God is to welcome everybody. And it's always been that way, but people forget because we like to be exclusive. And that is heartless faith. That is a selfish faith. That is, oh, I got this great, you got this great, and let's not welcome anybody else here. You ever felt left out when you were a kid of a little club of some kind that was happening, maybe officially or unofficially in your neighborhood or at your school, and, and, and they were part of it and you weren't welcomed in? The church shouldn't be that. The church should never be that. And that was never God's idea. It is an open invitation to all, A-L-L, -L, period, all, invited. 
Now they have to respond to it, but they're welcomed. The welcome mat is pulled away, not by God, but by other believers. That's what breaks God's heart. That is heartless faith. And how about today? Evangelicals, and I'm among evangelicals. I am one. Evangelicals can have written codes. Not so much about circumcision, but we use phrases like born again. I believe in Jesus Christ. Yeah, but are you born again? Well, I'm a Christian. But are you a born again Christian? You ever had someone push that particular word? You know what? Born again Christian comes up one place in the entire Bible. It's a conversation in John chapter 3 that Jesus is having with Nicodemus. And he talks about you must be born again. It is one good and helpful way to describe salvation. It is not the only way. I repeat, it is not the only way. So, so why do we just... Now, Jesus is the only way, but I'm saying it, to say born again, and that phraseology, that metaphor is not the only access point, thankfully, because maybe that one doesn't connect with you. But maybe another one does. Maybe dying to yourself is what connects with you. The opposite end. Instead of being born, i got to die. I have a lot I have to die to. Well, I'm glad Jesus died for me. And yeah, when, when Paul writes about dying to self, oh, God, please, I want to give this up and let you live in me. That means more to me, by the way. A lot of things i got to die to. And, and there's many others that are helpful. Not just born again or others, others that we use. Jesus is my Savior. Yes, but is he your Lord, too? Uh, yeah, I think so. And, and they make these distinctions and these nuances. And, and our charismatic and Pentecostal friends, are you a spirit-filled believer? I'm a believer. Yeah, but are you a spirit-filled believer? Well, I believe in the Spirit of God. But, and then they, want, they put all these other things in front of you. You have to jump through this hoop. And you have to pass that litmus test. Oh, please, let's stop it. Let's go back to the heart of the faith. And that is Jesus Christ, as Paul says, crucified and risen again and available to everybody. And he didn't put up those stop signs and those hurdles and boundaries to get across and through. We do, unfortunately. Yeah, there's deeper ways to understand God. Yes, we should and can grow. Yes, there's a place for all the gifts of the Spirit and the understanding of the Spirit, and I want that, but it's never to make us more exclusive. It's never to make us a, you know, a senior Christian and look down upon the junior Christians. Christian A, Christian B, you know, we're all believers in Jesus. Now, are we growing and drawing full life from that? That's the challenge for each of us, but we're all in this together, amen? Together. And this is what Paul is fighting. And so to, to both then and now, we have this, do we seek praise from God or praise from people? And as, as we're learning together, as we're sharing together, as we're teaching together, are, are we looking to see who's impressed? Are we looking to see who's in agreement with us? Or are we simply excited and glad that we have a place to serve, a place to teach, a place to learn? If no one ever says, great message, Paul, or, uh, hey, thanks for that, Pastor. That was really good. I really appreciate it. I, I'm glad when I get those words of appreciation. Yes, they mean something to me, but that's not why I do this. 
if I never get thanked again, except once, when I leave this world and Christ says to me, well done. If he says that about anything in my life, that's worth eternity, isn't it? That's the thanks I'm looking for. That's the thanks I'm looking forward to. Not accolades or praise. or and, and we should thank people and we should be appreciative. But that's not why we do things for the praise of people. We do it for the praise of God. And so I hope that this passage this morning, that, that Paul is coming down pretty hard on, on some Jewish people in of his own, he's a Jew himself, and he's a Christian Jew himself. But he's saying, this isn't the way we need to, to go about this, you guys. Let's get this right. Let's learn to work together with everyone. And he comes down on them hard because he's one of them. And I can come down hard on the church and the evangelical church because I'm one of them. And it's all about getting rid of the arrogance and the hypocrisy and, and the exclusivity and the heartless faith and, and coming back to the love of God that's found in the Son, Jesus. Father, thank you for that love, and may we draw life from that love. May we, that love change us and get ourselves out of the way and let you take more and more control in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.